0: Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host Roy Swart, father of 7, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking Biblically, the same way Jesus did it. I wanted to share with you today a little about a recent apologetics youth event that I had the honor of being a part of. It was a senior Bible class at a local Christian school, and the teacher invited our ministry in to answer some of the questions that the kids had submitted. Throughout the class. And our objective wasn't just to give the kids a bunch of great answers to all their hard questions. But what we really wanted to do was to model for them how to get the answers themselves. Not just give them a fish, but teach them how to fish. So I want to go through some of the questions that we covered today on our radio show. And at the beginning of it, I explained to them. The same three things, whenever I do a and a event like this, I always go back to the same three things. Number one, it is good to ask questions. Our Christian community, it should be a safe place to ask questions. Pastors, youth pastors, parents, grandparents, we should all be encouraging our kids to ask the questions that they have, that they're thinking about. These things are on their minds. And what I've seen a lot of churches do is they create a stigma and they say, you know, if you're having questions, your faith isn't strong enough. If you have any doubts, you're not a real Christian. If you do have those doubts, cover them up. Don't talk about them here. That is the worst thing that any of us as parents can say to our children, or any of us as leaders can say to the kids that God has put in our care. Number two, the Bible has answers. Sometimes a lot of kids are afraid to ask their questions because they're actually afraid of where the Bible is going to lead them. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to finally stump Christianity, and it's not going to have a good answer for my hard question. I have been doing this for a long time. I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of questions, and I have landed at the place where I have full confidence that the Bible, if you research it and you think about it clearly and logically and deeply, the Bible has a good answer for every hard question that we have. And then number three, we encourage the kids This is not just something you have to go to a group, a panel of experts to get the right answers. This is something that any Christian with a brain and a Bible can do on your own. Now, does it help to have somebody who's maybe a little bit more experienced or has seen this kind of question before? Sure but it's not necessary. Anybody with a brain and a Bible can come up with these things. Sometimes I think we make it harder than it needs to be. And we say, well, you've got to go to seminary. You've got to get a PhD in apologetics. You've got to, no, 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 no. Open up your Bible, pray, ask God, and you can get these questions answered yourself. Okay. The first question, and I'm not going to go through all the questions today on the show. The first one that we're going to address today is, How come the Age of Miracles ended? Now, this is a great example of you always need to be on the watch for any implied assumptions in a question like this. Sometimes a question isn't really a question, it's a statement buried in a question. And so, on this one, how come the Age of Miracles ended? The implied statement is. The age of miracles has ended. And then the question part of it is, why did that happen? I think the context of this question was, hey, when I read the Bible, especially the Gospels or Acts, I'm seeing miracles all over the place. And there's lots of miracles in the Old Testament. But when I walk around my neighborhood, I walk down the street to my school, I'm not seeing all these miracles happen. So why did they end? Well, be careful. I don't think the age of miracles has ended. I think there's miracles that happen today. There's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that the age of miracles came to an end. Also, I've traveled all around the world, and I've seen miracles. I've heard many, many testimonies of miracles. I actually think that overseas, in some cultures, there's a lot more miracles happening than we see in America Maybe because we've become so hard-hearted and so rebellious against God, so close-minded to anything supernatural, there's actually a really interesting Bible verse in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, 58, talking about Jesus, and it says this, and he did not do many works there, many miracles, because of their unbelief. I think that's a little bit of the situation that we're in in America. And let me just point out one more thing. Also implied in this, I think, is if God would just do more miracles here, if he would just reveal himself more clearly through miracles, more people would become Christians. More people would believe. I don't think that's true. And I have a Bible verse to back up my theory. In the book of Luke, chapter 16, Jesus is talking about a parable about a rich man who died and went to a place of torment and a poor man who died and went to a place of paradise. And the rich man was like, "Oh, I'm suffering down here. And he said, oh, Father Abraham, can you please send Lazarus, this poor guy, to come and comfort me? And this is what he says, Luke chapter 16, verses 27 through 31. This is the rich man. I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my father's house, five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they'll repent. These are chilling words. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I think that the point here is clear. If we are going to choose to be hard-hearted and rebellious towards God, God has given us lots of opportunities to believe in him. He has made who he is clear through creation through own consciences, through so many testimonies, it's not for lack of knowledge that people don't submit themselves to God, it's because of active rebellion. So even if there were more miracles, it couldn't change a person's hard heart. Okay, the next question is, are we supposed to obey the whole Bible or just the words of Jesus in the New Testament? Now, this reveals a common misconception about what the Bible is and who wrote it. And there's lots of scholars, supposed intellectuals who make a really big deal about, well, these are the words of Jesus, and that's really what his theology is. And let's compare them to the words of Paul and his epistles. And let's show how actually Paul didn't really believe in Jesus' theology, the red word theology. He actually had a different theology. All that is garbage, absolute garbage. Those people doing that don't understand what the Bible is and how it was written. The Bible was written by God. And Jesus is God. (laughs) So Jesus wrote the whole Bible. So when you say, well, I only want to obey the commands that Jesus himself gave. Okay, those are contained in the red words of the Gospels. They're contained in the black letters in those same Gospel letters. They're contained in the black letters of the epistles of the New Testament. They're contained in the black letters of the prophets and the law of the Old Testament. All of that is Jesus's communication. Anytime people try and separate that and cause a distinction, they just don't understand who wrote the Bible. Okay, the next question is When defending your beliefs from other religions, such as Islam or Hinduism, is there a right way and a wrong way to prove our point? The answer is absolutely. And I'll take you to. The Kind of the classic apologetics verse in 1 Peter 3.15, which goes like this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And always be prepared to make a defense, an apologia, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And here's the important part. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So, is every Christian called to evangelize? Yes. A lot of people think, well, you know, apologetics is this thing. You got to go to like six years of Bible seminary school and get a PhD. And and then you're super intellectual and all you do is sit around and, you know, argue theory and philosophy with people. No, no, that's not what the Bible calls apologetics. Maybe that's what we've created it to be. And that's unfortunate. Apologetics is simply knowing why you believe what you believe. Defending what it is that you believe. Every Christian is called to do that kind of biblical apologetics. And how? Do it with gentleness and respect. So let me summarize three or four specific examples of how that looks when you're doing it with gentleness and respect. Number one, listen more than you talk. I've gone over that over and over on this broadcast. Number two, try and ask Questions. If you have the privilege of having someone live in front of you face to face and you're having a great discussion and they bring up something about what they believe or they are trying to describe their religion, ask a lot of questions and listen to their answers. So by the way, every religion describes a worldview, a way to view the world, a way that reality works. Every worldview has these three things to it. Every religion tries to answer these questions. Where did everything come from? Number one. Number two, what's wrong with the world? And number three, how does it get fixed? So what you can do is when you're in a discussion with someone about what they believe, you can ask them those three questions and say, hey, how do your beliefs answer these three fundamental questions? Or how does your religion answer these three fundamental questions. And then you can listen to their answer. And then you can say, well, this is how Christianity answers those same three questions. This is why I think it's reasonable and logical and consistent. I think Christianity gives a very consistent description of reality. It would be another topic for another time to answer why all these religions break down within themselves internally. They're self-contradictory when they go to try and answer these questions. So that's how you would do it. Number one, listen more than you talk. Two, try and ask questions to increase your understanding. Three, maybe this is the most important one. Never, ever attack someone personally for what they believe. It's wrong. It's totally against what the Bible says. It's unbecoming of a Christian, it creates a bad name for Christ. Don't ever attack someone personally. And if you ever see someone attack someone personally, and they're a Christian, please go to that brother or sister in private and say, look, I just don't think your approach is what God calls us to in the Bible. Look up some Bible verses, arm yourselves. But really, we need to try and help ourselves in this and say, God calls us to defend our beliefs, explain our beliefs with gentleness and respect. The next question is How literally should we take the Old Testament? Now, I usually say something like this I think a good starting point is to say, I take the Bible as literally as Jesus took it. Now, as Christians, I think that's a pretty safe place to be. Well, give me an example. Let me ask you a question Did Jesus? always take the bible completely literally. No, of course not. Then there's tons of examples. When he was reading Psalm 17:8 where it says, "Keep me as the apple of your eye and hide me in the shadows of your wings." Do you think God he's like, "Oh, I guess that means that God has big apples for eyes and he's like a chicken with wings." No, of course not. That's ridiculous. There are some times when the language itself is poetic, it's full of imagery, and it's obvious that it's not supposed to be taken literally. Now, you might say, oh, okay, you mean like those fictitious mythical stories like Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Jonah, things like that, right? Well, no, not at all. Those three examples Jesus himself actually used, he spoke of those patriarchs of the faith, when he talked about those people and their circumstances, he used very literal language. It wasn't figurative, it wasn't imagery. So he believed all of those people and stories were real, and he talked about them as if they were historical and real. I think that's a great place for us to start too. I'll just say one more thing about this. Sometimes people say, wait a minute, Adam and Eve? Like, seriously? Two people are like the parents of the entire human race? That's just ridiculous. God makes Adam out of dirt? Here's what I usually say. The first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Every Christian has to accept that statement at face value, or you don't believe in God. There's no God. There's no Jesus. You're not a Christian. Created everything from absolutely nothing. Spoke everything into existence out of nothing. Once you accept that miracle, that God's that powerful, all the rest of this stuff is completely inconsequential, totally insignificant. Two more questions. Here's the question. What does the Bible say about marriage and living together before marriage. I just want to say a few things. One, sometimes I think the church does people a disservice by making sex seem like a bad thing all the time. Sometimes people think, okay, what's the church's message about sex? Three things. Don't do it, don't talk about it, and don't even think about it. Man, I don't think that that's what God is teaching in the Bible. God created sex. He created it to be a good thing, but he created it to be a very powerful thing. So this is the example I gave them today. I live out in the woods on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And the way that we heat our house is with firewood. So every single morning in the wintertime, I get up and I make a fire and I heat the house. And if there was no fire, our house would never get above 32 degrees. So fire is a wonderful, powerful thing. As a matter of fact, we lost power out in the boonies this last week, so we couldn't even cook. So where did we cook? We cooked on the wood stove. So it heats our home, it cooks our food. Fire does lots of wonderful things when it's in the wood stove. Now, what if I took that same fire And threw it all around my house and let it get out of the wood stove and beyond the boundaries where it was designed to operate within. It burned my house down. It burned my entire property down. So it can be a very useful thing. It can be a very powerful thing, a very wonderful thing, but it can also lead to absolute destruction. That is what sex is. That's how God created sex to be. There is absolutely no ambiguity in the scriptures that sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's a sin. I'll just give you one quick verse. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Now, some people might say, well, man, God's such a killjoy, and if sex is such a great thing, then why is he saying we can't do it anywhere and everywhere we want, with anyone we want? It's because all of God's rules are created for our good. Every command that he gives us is to help us and protect us. And so God knows that rampant sexual freedom, having sex with anyone and everyone, everywhere, all the time, Will absolutely crush and destroy our society. It will harm the individuals. It'll harm families. It'll harm our entire nation. And so God says, I've created this thing, but because I love you and because I want what's best for you, I've given you boundaries and I've given you rules concerning this. And so I'll just say one more thing here a little bit of a personal application. I have never Ever met someone who regretted not having sex before marriage. I have met countless people who did regret the fact that they had sex before marriage, and even people who were in love, even people who ended up getting married to each other, even people who said, "Hey, I never had sex with anyone except this person, and I loved them and I was gonna get married to them and then I had sex with them before we got married those people regret that decision because they know they were breaking God's law and they suffer the consequences and they have regret and they have remorse. So God gives us these rules to protect us and for our good. Here's the last question. Is it possible to believe that Christ died for your sins and yet still not be a Christian? The answer is yes, of course. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one? Great, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. And Matthew 8.28 and 29 gives an even more specific example. Jesus is going into the country of the Gadarenes, and two demon-possessed men come out of the tombs, and they cry out and say, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? They knew Jesus was the Son of God. And they said, have you come here to torment us before the time? They read the Old Testament. They're not stupid. They know that Jesus was coming to die on the cross to reconcile the world to God. So they said, hey, we know what your plan is here. Did you come to torment us before this time? So If demons believe that, does that mean demons are Christians? No. It goes back to what the Bible says makes you a Christian. And my favorite verse to go to is Romans 10, verse 9. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's great. Yes, part of it is believing that Jesus died for you and rose again. But the first part of that verse is really important also. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So what that means is you need to submit to him and make him Lord of your life. You need to worship him as the sovereign God in your life over you. Demons don't do that. Non-Christians don't do that. There might be people who believe certain things but if you've not submitted your will to God if you've not repented of your sins and made Jesus lord of your life you're not a christian all right well we have covered a lot of great questions today like i said these were questions that we covered in a bible class at a local christian school had a lot of fun doing that and the kids really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. And so this is a a major part of our ministry and we had a lot of fun doing it. Now, how about you? What questions are you struggling with? What are you doing to search in the Bible to find answers to those hard questions and to share some of those doubts and some of those questions with your friends? God calls us to think about our beliefs, to know not just what we believe, but why we believe it. Christianity is a deeply thoughtful and intellectual religion. It is something that we are certainly supposed to use our hearts in devotion and love for God, but God calls us also to use our minds, to think critically, to think analytically about the evidence that we have before us, about what makes sense and what is Reasonable, And finally, to submit our will to God, to be convinced by the overwhelming evidence around us of Christianity, of the gospel, and then to do that final step, which is submit ourselves to God and accept Him as our Savior. I want to encourage you to continue to do that on your journey today. If you wanna go to our website, theambassadorsforum.com, we've got lots of helpful resources. We've got questions that we've answered. We've got lots of activities and events in the Portland area and also online that you can dial into and be a part of the community here that is seeking God together and seeking good answers to our hard questions finally thank you for joining us on the radio today you can join us every saturday at 9 30 a.m here on true talk 800 a.m kpdq i pray that god will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the lord jesus christ until next time i'm roy swart may the lord bless you and keep you